I would like for you to take your Bible and turn to the last book, the book of the Revelation, as we continue our study of the seven churches of Asia Minor. And I am hoping today that we would be reminded again of the motivation to fulfill the Great Commission and the encouragement that comes from this text to do so. The final words of Christ as he ascended was that his people would go into all of the world, to all of the nations of the world, and make disciples of Christ. Make people that will learn who he is and follow him. He did not tell his church to go into all the world and get people to make decisions for Christ. He didn't call us to do that or just say a little prayer for Christ. No, the commission is that we would point people to the Lord Jesus Christ and beg them to put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and then to follow Him and learn of Him. For we are his body here on earth, and how will the world ever know who he is unless we tell them who he is? And so this text has been a tremendous encouragement to my heart again, and I would like to read it. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy... He who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut. Because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not but lie. I will make them come and bow at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will also keep you from the hour of testing that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God 
And the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and my new name, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Are we ready to hear again today what the Spirit wants to say to us? From this text, who began to speak from this letter over 2,000 years ago, and this letter has touched every generation since, and now we are here. It is here to push us forward in gospel advance. It is here to remind us of the glorious gospel of Christ, for in this text, He is the Holy One. As you study that whole thought in the Old Testament, you discover the Holy One of Israel. You'll hear the seraphs sing, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. For there is none like him, no, not one. For I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Do you and I realize that the gospel we preach of Christ is the gospel of the Holy One of Israel. And during his ministry, even demons would acknowledge who Christ is. We know who you are. You're the Holy One of Israel. Demons know who he is. Do the people of God understand that that Holy One of Israel speaks of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ when He left the glories of heaven long ago and became who we are, bone of our bones and flesh of our flesh. He never ceased being God the Son. He is the Holy One of Israel. He is the genuine Messiah, for He is the one who is true. And I mentioned that they had two words for true. One was true in contrast with falsehood. Another Greek word meant one that is genuine, the real deal, and that is the word that the Spirit of God chose to use here in the text. When we speak of Christ, we can with all authority announce He is the genuine Messiah. Many, many a Messiah has come and gone, but He is the true deal, the real thing, the real deal. And we preach the Holy One of Israel, the genuine Messiah, the one who is a key king, who has a kingdom, and he has access to the new Jerusalem because he holds the key. That's who he is. And I am so thankful that the text tells us that he loves us. Aren't you? This one loves us, and he is the one that is coming again. We have a glorious gospel to preach, and it is the person and the work of Christ. We preach Christ. We determined, as Paul would say, not to know anything among you except for Christ and Him crucified. 
the glorious gospel of Christ. But you know, this text would speak to us of the glorious opportunities for gospel advance. You consider that the city of Philadelphia was built 189 B.C., almost 200 years before Christ came. And it was built by a king by the name of Eumenes II, who had been the king in Pergamum. You can recall several weeks ago we studied that letter to the church at Pergamus. And we shared with you that that was a capital city in the kingdom of Lydia. And it had an incredible impact in Asia Minor. And it had adopted Greek culture. Matter of fact, they adopted the Greek gods and the Greek culture and the Greek language. They were a powerhouse. And this Eumenes II had a brother a brother that actually shared the throne with him for a period of time. But he was noted for something. He was very loyal to his brother, Amenus. His name was Attalus II. And his loyalty was such that he got the distinct honor of being called Philadelphus. Philadelphus. The one that loves his brother. And in honor of Attalus II, Eumenes named this new city that they were going to plant Philadelphia in honor of his brother. And they placed this new city in a very strategic location. They put it right on the border between the kingdom of Lydia and two other kingdoms. And it had a purpose, for the desire was to move the Greek culture into those regions of Asia Minor and to do it peacefully. They wanted the Greek language to abound and culture to abound. And it became so effective, their outreach, their mission, that in time it was said that Lydia spoke Greek. And it was difficult to find anyone who spoke their original native language. So set up to be a missionary town a border town, a a town on a road that even the armies of Caesar would march and the postal deliveries would take place. How fitting with the roads and the city to see that little community of believers envision gospel advance and have a mission, not for Greek culture, but for kingdom culture and gospel advance. I cannot help but think at how unique an opportunity that we have here in New York City, which really began, you can trace some of the founding of this city that we are living in today to the first European explorer. You might know his name. 
Giovanni Verrazano. And he began to explore this territory in 1524. We have a bridge. We have a bridge connecting Brooklyn and Staten Island that's named after this explorer, the Verrazano Bridge. And after him would come Europeans from the Netherlands. And the Dutch would come and settle on what now is Governor's Island below the tip of Manhattan in 1624. And then a few years later, in 1626, Peter Minute, who was from the Dutch West Indie Company, purchased the island that we are on today from Indians, the Algonquin Indians, for like $25. And you know the story. It was chartered as a city in 1653, over nearly 400 years ago. And the Church of Christ is here. The church at Philadelphia was there 300 years after that city was founded. And we are here 400 years after this city is founded. And we have opportunities, unique opportunities in this place that not every city in the United States have. We have over 3 million foreign-born residents that come from over 200 different countries. Foreign-born residents. That's nearly a third of Manhattan and, and, and Queens and, and Bronx and Brooklyn and Staten Island. Every corner of the globe. I tell people when I speak of the opportunities here in New York City <clears throat> that a walk around the block is a walk around the world. The whole world lives here. The whole world visits here. They have tens of thousands of visitors from all over America every single day in this city. Hundreds of thousands of people pass through Grand Central Station every single day. And from around the world, 10,000 people on the average visit pre-pandemic. But they're coming back, as you can see, from all over the world. Our Lord gave us a commission to take his gospel to the ends of the world, preaching Christ and begging men and women to become followers of Christ, disciples of Christ, learners of Christ. He's given us that command, and yet he's brought the world to us. What a unique opportunity we have. And just as Christ had given to that church an open door that no one can shut, even so has he given to us an open door. The door is still open in New York City. The door is open in New York City to go down to a local police precinct and for $45 receive a permit from the police department to set up on a street corner 
in New York City and with amplification preach the gospel of Christ, sing of Christ, testify of Christ, and distribute gospel literature. For that type of activity has happened dozens and dozens and dozens of times from people that are associated with ministry in this space. What a glorious opportunity. And I'll tell you what, you don't hear too often the, 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 the songs of the saints being broadcast live in New York City on a street corner. But that is an open door that we have. We have the open door to meet in this space. And I'm thankful for that. And we remind ourselves that the Lord said he's, got, he's opened the door and no one can shut it. Was, was an implication that there were people in their day trying to shut the door. He said, I, I'm going to keep it open. And it will remain open as long as I want it to be open. So take advantage of the open door. The gospel is about Christ. The opportunity for gospel advance is here with us. And the power for gospel advance. What is it that energizes? This letter tells us. And the first thing that it reminds us of is that the Lord said, I gave you this open door because you have a little strength. Now, don't think that he is saying, I'm going to give you this open door because you got a little strength. And you can rely on your strength. No, what he is saying to them is he's saying, I am giving you this open door because you have just a little bit of strength. And if this is going to be accomplished, it's going to have to be accomplished through my power. And gospel advance goes forward because the Lord opens door. And over and over again in the New Testament, you find the apostle says, and the Lord opened a door. And the Lord opened a door. Would you please pray that the Lord will open a door? We must be reliant on the strength of the Lord. But he also says in the letter, but you kept my word. Do you know what will hinder gospel advance? It's disobedience. It's a failure to be obedient to the Lord. And when we allow the world, the flesh, and the devil to turn our, our minds away from what is our priority, we'll find ourselves being engulfed by the flesh. And I want to tell you something. It's very difficult to speak to other people about the gospel when we're living a life of disobedience. And so the call of God is to turn us toward obedience today. To turn us toward the desire to have the power of God's Spirit within us. For Acts 1.8 says this, you know this text. But you shall receive power. After the Holy Spirit is come upon you and you might be witnesses of me. Is that what the text says? It says, and you shall be witnesses of me. If you will do a very careful Bible study through the book of Acts and highlight every single time you find a reference to the filling of the Holy Spirit, there is something that takes place every single time 
in those contexts. Does anybody know what it is? It's preaching Christ. Exactly. The manifestation of the fullness of the Spirit is the proclamation with boldness the gospel of Christ. We preach Christ. You see, the passion of the Holy Spirit is to make Him known. When you look at all the references to the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, over 80 of them, the Spirit of God always came and filled with power certain types of people. He empowered prophets and priests and kings and judges because they prefigured the coming Messiah, who is the prophet, priest, and king, and judge. And then he empowered those who designed and built the tabernacle, which was nothing more than shadow prophecy of the coming Christ. You see, the passion of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was to make Christ known. And you come into the New Testament, and you discover that Christ's life was totally controlled by the Spirit of God. And when he left, he told us that we're going to get the power from the Spirit of God to testify of him. How do we minister to one another? The gifts, they're called the gifts of the Spirit. You minister those to one another in the power of God's Spirit. But what are they? They are all facets of the the ministry and the work of Christ. Would you know the mercy of Christ? Then watch someone who has a mercy gift exercise it. Would you know that he's the great teacher? A teaching gift. Are you in need of administrative detail and organization Let those step forward who have that spiritual gift and you'll see the order of the kingdom of heaven. And we could go on and on. We need God's Spirit. And this great work will not be done apart from Him and our surrender to Him. That is where the glorious power comes from. Our obedience to Him and then the public confession of His name through the power of God's Spirit. This is what this church was doing in Philadelphia. They were obeying the Lord, relying on His power, and confessing His name. But I am thankful that this text also reminds us of the glorious results of gospel advance. Here you had some opposition to believers, these believers who were Jewish and Gentile in this church at Philadelphia. But there were Jewish brothers who were persecuting the Christian church. And you can read of that persecution even in the book of Acts. They were persecuting their own people. Stephen was being stoned. The thousands of Jewish believers that had come to Christ on the day of Pentecost were being persecuted by fellow brothers. And that persecution scattered them around the world. And yet there was a promise, a promise that we can hang on to, and that is this, that God can use the glorious gospel to convert both Jew and Gentile. 
And those who oppose the gospel of God will come into the assembly at the very feet of the people of God, and they will confess their sin and acknowledge that Christ is Messiah for the glory of God and enter into that community that is loved by Messiah. There are converts. Listen, I stand here today because someone shared with me the gospel of God. I'll never forget the day when I came to Christ. Raised in a foster home, there was a family around the corner. We lived on Quay Court. There was a street right next to ours called Quay Street. And one summer, a Christian family hosted a five-day club in their house. There was a single man by the name of Dan Jackson, who came to run that five-day Bible club at that location, and I'm sure he did it all summer in different homes across that community and others. But for five days, he shared the gospel of Christ to children. And I will never forget the lesson that the Lord used to open up my eyes to my Savior. And that was the story of Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness. And those that looked to that raised staff were saved. Their life was extended. And then he went to the gospel of Christ and how Christ will be lifted up. And the Lord Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. For that was a picture of Christ in the Old Testament. And I saw my need as a sinner for a Savior. And I'll never forget climbing the steps from that basement and going to the living room and kneeling in front of a couch and crying out to Jesus and asking him to be my Lord and my Savior. That's where it all began for me. That's where it all began, and I'm still in a process of learning and changing, but I'm on my road to glory. There will be results, but I'm also thankful that this text says there will be protection the protection of God in gospel advance because those believers had kept his word. And that word kept literally means to guard, to secure, to preserve, was the promise of God that he is going to keep them, even in a most difficult time of testing, testing that would come over. In that day, you had the persecution of Trajan. And for decades... Roman emperors would continue to oppress the church of Christ. And yet the promise is that they would be kept in the midst of that oppression. And that's the promise of God throughout all the ages. He has never left his people. He has always protected them. It doesn't matter what the hour of testing will be, but it will come. I wonder over the 
years since 1855 when believers decided to start gathering together in a community. And they began what was called Manor Chapel in 1855. That's why one of the dates on the front of this building, 1855, is carved in stone. For those believers came together, determined that they would advance the gospel in Chelsea, which at that period in time was a slum full of poor families and young children and youth, and their heart and passion was to reach the kids of Chelsea. And so they began a Sunday school which then later became Manor Chapel. And that group of believers continued to minister in this this city, this corner, until they would secure this property, two lots, one in 1873 and another one in 1906. And then the Dutch, the Dutch that were instrumental in the founding of this city, Naming it New Amsterdam. Amsterdam being the capital of Holland. The Dutch that had such a voice in the development of what we enjoy today were the ones that built this building. I was told that every brick on this building, those decorative bricks, those slim little bricks that you've never seen before in your life, those speckled bricks, all of them, I was told, came here from Holland. But what they began continues to this day. Not without trial, but many a test. I only know the tests that I have faced since being here and the tests that those who preceded me faced from being here. But it doesn't matter what the test is. We are reminded in this letter to be faithful in our gospel advance. Hold fast to what you have. Be ever abounding in the work of the Lord because you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. But keep on keeping on. And when it seems very difficult, then hold fast to what you've been called to do. As the pressure comes, continue to hold to the Word of God. Be known as a space where the Word of God is thundered, where the Word of God is honored, when the Word of Christ is thundered and His person and work is made known. Speak of Him. Confess His name. For the day is coming and we're beginning to feel it on the edges of even our own culture. Opposition to the things of God in this country. In this country. Will we hold fast? And with a graciousness and a kindness and a loving appeal continue to thunder to our generation the person and the work of Christ. He's called us to that. But I would remind you as we close of the glorious future that awaits the people of God 
a glorious future honor that will motivate us in our gospel advance. Our Lord is coming. That's promised. And this city of Philadelphia that was founded to be a missionary outpost for Greek culture and Greek language, this city had a number of different names throughout its history. Like I said, it began known as the city of Philadelphia. But a little later on in their history, their name was changed to Decapolis, one of the prominent cities there in the plain. And then in time, it was renamed Neo-Caesarea. There was a huge earthquake. We prayed this morning for those that suffered and are suffering the earthquake in Turkey. Can't imagine 25,000 people losing their life in an earthquake. But in A.D. 17, just a few decades before this church receives a letter from John, a major earthquake hit that region. And Tiberius, one of the Caesars, had stepped in and loaned money and given money and helped a number of those cities rebuild. He even helped Philadelphia. And so that's why they named it Neo-Caesarea, in honor of Tiberius Caesar. But a little later on in their history, they changed their name again to Flavius, in honor of another Caesar, the Roman Emperor Vespasian. You see, it had a number of times that it changed its name, and its modern name today is Alashier. You can read up on its modern city. A place where they knew about names and name changes, and so it is to those believers that he comes and he reminds us that one of the honors that await the people of God is that they will have the seal of God on their foreheads. The very name of the Father would be written on them. What a promise. It reminds us of the high priest there in the temple who when he would serve as a, as a high priest, he would wear a crown around his head, and on that crown was what? The name of God. Yahweh. And do you and I understand that what the, the Lord is telling us here, what the Spirit of God is telling us here, is that God himself is going to put his name upon us and acknowledge that we belong to the Father. Can you imagine the Father of glory acknowledging that I am one of his sons? What greater honor, what greater privilege. Why would I not want to be obedient to him and thunder what he's called us all to thunder? And that's the glorious gospel of his Son. You have to believe that this is the calling of God on all of our lives. And then it's going to be rewarded with honor. But not only do we have the Father's name, what a glorious name that is. He says that he's going to give us the name of the city of my God. 
And what is the name of this city? Well, we're told in Ezekiel's prophecy, the name of the city is the Lord is there. Can you imagine being a citizen of the New Jerusalem? A city whose builder and maker is God. And would I remind you as you read the book of Hebrews that there was a man in the Old Testament by the name of Abraham? You ever know about Abraham? Twelve chapters in your Bible and you come to the twelfth chapter, come to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And then the balance of that Old Testament book is the history of the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their relationship to God and the city of Jerusalem. And yet Abraham would say that he was looking for something that he wouldn't find in the land of Canaan. It would not be a city built by human hands, but he said, I am looking for the city that is built by the hand of God, the new Jerusalem. Is that your confession? Are you confessing with Abraham that you are nothing more than a pilgrim down here? Now, I am thankful for life on this earth. God made this earth. But this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Heaven and the new Jerusalem cry for the people of God. And if you understand that, it will help you navigate this life that you have down here on this earth. Because it is difficult. And if you will labor trying to change the world politically, you're going to be disgusted. We already know what the book says is going to happen. But there is one thing that is timeless that will change everything, and it is the gospel of the kingdom. You must give yourself to that and preach Christ. But not only is the Father's name given to us, not only the name of this new Jerusalem, but can you imagine this? The Lord Jesus says, and my new name. That right now, nobody knows. No one knows. But someday we will. For the promise is, is that he will write on us his new name. Whatever that is, I know him in the English as the Lord Jesus Christ. And every other name given to him in the Bible, but I do not know that name yet, but someday I will. And having been written upon me, I will know without question, not only do I belong to the Father, not only am I a citizen of the New Jerusalem, but I belong to my Christ. You see, we're talking about things unseen. This is what we see. 
Some people say, well, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. I've never found anybody that was so heavenly minded they weren't any good on this earth. The more you put your mind on what yet is to come, you will pursue it, realizing it is yours and it will come. And then one final thought here, one final honor that is awaiting the people of God, and that is that he is going to make us a pillar in the temple of his God, a pillar in the temple. You know, right now we're called stones, aren't we? Living stones. And yet the day will come when we'll have a pillar with our name on it. What was so significant about that? Because in that region of Asia Minor, with all the mystery religions and all the worship of the gods of the Greeks, all the temples that were built, many times a prominent priest who died, in his honor they would erect a pillar in one of the pagan temples and write his name on it to honor him. And they knew of that. And they also knew that in the new Jerusalem, there is no temple. But we are the pillars of that temple. And we'll receive honor. And we will go out no more. Now, what did that mean to those dear people? Their history in 17 AD of that incredible earthquake that rocked the world and destroyed so many towns, theirs included. Even with the help of Tiberius Caesar in its rebuilding, the people were not safe to go into the town of Philadelphia. For we are told historically that for 20 years after that earthquake in A.D. 17, that town continued to experience aftermath and shakings of the earth and their buildings would develop cracks and roofs would collapse and most of the population went out of the city and set up tents and housing and commerce outside the walls. And they basically said that anybody who remains in the city is just crazy. What a promise. In your history, you've experienced having to go out constantly. Come back in and having to go out with another earthquake. But the promise of our God, my friends, is that we will never have to leave the new Jerusalem. That's ours. And the Spirit of God is speaking these words to you. Now notice I've got three fingers pointing back at me. <laughs> I am thankful that in this place that we are trying to advance the gospel of God and preach Christ. 
every single week, there are evangelistic chapels in this space. Every Wednesday morning at 9 o'clock, Cantonese speakers hear the word in their language. Every Wednesday at 11 o'clock, Mandarin speakers hear the word in their language. Do you realize that our congregation Sunday afternoon is the smallest congregation throughout the week? One o'clock on Wednesday, Spanish speakers hear the word of God in their language. At three o'clock on Wednesday, people hear the word of God in English. And then on Saturday afternoon, they hear the word of God in English at one o'clock and three o'clock. My friends, my passion is to get the gospel of God out. 300 people sit in this chapel every week to hear the gospel of God. We're seeking to advance it. We've advanced it in the English language the most spoken language in New York City. We are advancing it in the Spanish language, the second most spoken language. We're advancing it in two of the Chinese dialects, the third most spoken language. Do you know what the fourth most spoken language is in New York City? Russian. And we have Russian speakers that are coming to this service. And for the past two weeks, I've been online trying to figure out what it would cost for us to be able to speak and teach and have immediately the language up on a screen behind us in Russian. I don't know what you're giving your life to. I know you have to eat and you have to sleep. But is that your priority? Could it be said of you that your first priority in life is to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and to see everything else added to you? I will close with this personal illustration. God used a number of events in our life to turn our hearts toward this city. And I've shared some of those with you in the past. But we were in a fellowship in western North Carolina, a church that we had helped restart, that was in debt. We saw the Lord pay that debt off. We saw the Lord restart that congregation And we built a home two lots down from the church, a 3,600-square-foot home, thinking we were going to be in that little retirement town of 70,000 for the rest of our life. Thought we were going to raise our kids there. Three of my four immediate neighbors were New Yorkers. I'd never been to New York. But through a calling and a process, God made very clear to us that we were to turn our attention to this city, not knowing what awaited us. And the thing that gave us great hope was the promise of Jesus. When he said this, 
If you will seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, he said, I'm going to add everything else. And he said, if you will leave your father and your mother. My foster family lived about 40 minutes from me in Asheville, North Carolina. If you'll leave your father and mother, and here's this next one, and your houses and your lands. He said, I'll take care of you. And I sold my house for a dollar. Still haven't been paid the dollar. And we turned our heart toward New York City. And do you know what? We have seen the hand of God. We have seen the provision of God like we've never seen before in our life. And my wife and I would not give up the past 20 years of our life for anything. And I will say this, that we have seen more of the hand of God since coming to this side of the city in this space than we ever could have imagined. My friends, the fields are white unto harvest, but the laborers are few. Will you become missionaries from this base? Will you help us get this gospel out? Will you be one that invites your friends and your family and your acquaintances to this space so that they can hear the gospel of God? Do you long, do you long for them to hear the gospel of God? Well, you better do something about getting it to them. We've got gospel booklets, copies of the New Testament. They're available to you. And in this city, it's easy to pass them out. Have you noticed that? Everybody passes stuff out in this city. And we've got some nice literature that looks nice that they'll take a second look at. Would you please become a part of gospel advance in this space? Will you do it with us? Will it become your passion?